Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built the ark, an, ark, an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish of the seas, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave, the, gave you green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood still in it, and for, your, and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from every human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God uh, has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful, increase the number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you uh, and your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this covenant. We thank you for this uh, text and the, the lessons learned within. As we kind of walk our way through it and navigate our way through it, uh, I just pray that we would come to see our role uh, in this life-giving relationship that you have offered us and that we would see your role and your promise for generations to come. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I have to say that I think potty training was one of the hardest things that we've done as parents. Uh, it was excruciatingly difficult. And part of it was some very bad advice that we got at the very beginning. Uh, and multiple people told us this, and we saw multiple articles that said this, that when your child is ready to potty train, if you just take their diaper off them and kind of let them run around the house and have the potty available, they will not potty anywhere but the potty. 
They, they won't do it. That it's kind of human nature. A kid won't just go when they're ready to potty train. And so Sam got to the age where we felt like he sh- should be ready and uh, that we were going to do it. And Cheryl was off at work one day. And I said, I'm going to be hero dad. And I'm going to potty train this kid while Cheryl's at work. You know, and I, I'm just going to take care of it. And so I called her up and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get tr- Sam potty trained today. I'm going to execute this uh, idea that we read. And uh, while I was calling her and talking to her, and Sam had his diaper off running around the main floor. Uh, while I was on the phone with her, I heard, heard Sam say, Daddy, I've had an accident. And it was said in such a way that I didn't want to go into the other room. I just wanted to stay in the back room talking to my wife and just pretending like everything is okay. But the way he said, he said, Daddy, I've had an accident. And I went in there and one of two things was true. Either he wasn't ready to potty train or somebody lied to us. Because I can tell you, just for parents getting ready to potty train, it is absolutely untrue that a child will do that, will, will not just potty when their diaper's off. It is absolutely true. We have verified it with Sam, and we have verified it with Lila. I am telling you it's true. They, they, they absolutely will just go. And, and it was, it, that was the beginning of just a frustrating season because you would make some progress, and you'd feel like you were potty training, and then there'd be kind of an accident or, or whatever, and you'd feel like you were back at square one. you feel like you were starting all over again. And if we're honest, that's frustrating. In any season of life, it is frustrating to have to start over. It is frustrating to have to rebuild. It is frustrating to, to, to have to do that. It can be discouraging. It can be hard. It can, it, it can be difficult. And, and this is rebuilding and, and starting over. And that whole thing is what the story I just read to you is all about. We've seen the destruction of the earth. We've seen Adam and his family enter the ark. We've seen all of that stuff. And now it's time to rebuild. And now it's time to, to recreate. And now it's time uh, to, to, to rebuild the earth, essentially. And that's exactly what God is commissioning Noah and his family to do. And so this text is kind of broken into two ways. One is, and some of the, this first section is a little bit of, of a repeat, because we saw in Genesis 1, God create the heavens and the earth. Now, in Genesis 9, when he's recreating the earth, we see some of the same admonitions and the same commands to man. So some of this is going to be repeat, but we're going to see man's role, and then we're going to see God's promise. And uh, that God's promise, as I read through that text, it might seem like a real simple promise, but I think there is something really beautiful and really amazing that lurks underneath all of that promise. If you'll hang with me, I promise you we'll get there. But let's start, let's start with, the, with man's role in the rebuild. All right, man's role in the rebuild is, first of all, on the screen, to worship. I love the imagery of this worship moment because Noah... And his family, they just spent all this time kind of saving all of these animals and saving the birds and all of this stuff. And then they get out and the first thing they do is they make a sacrifice to God with, with, with the clean animals. They, they sacrifice to God. And you can see how important this is to Noah. The worship of his God is the most important thing to him. And he's trusting on God by sacrificing these clean animals. He's trusting on God to fulfill his promise and to come through in the end. And of course God does, but the worship of God is so important to Noah, he refuses to let it go. And I want to kind of encourage you with this, that as we think about worship for a minute, that true worship of God, when God is our number one priority, true worship of God never includes the word if. It it never includes the idea if God, right? If God blesses me in a certain way, then I'll worship. If God does what I think he should do, 
I'll worship. If God takes this action, if God, it shouldn't include an if God, and it shouldn't include an if I. If I like the songs, I'll worship. If I like the music, I'll worship. If things are done my way, then I'll worship. You know what the, the if thing is? It is the highest form of idolatry. It is not making God the number one priority. It is making self the number one priority. True worship of God says this, not if, if God or if I. True worship of God says I'll always I'll always, no matter what is happening, I'll worship. No matter what is going on, I'll worship. No matter what I've experienced, I'll worship. No matter what I'm feeling, I'll worship. That God is the most important thing, and I'm going to worship his great name no matter what. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to praise his name. No matter what, I'll always worship. That's true worship. And that's what we're seeing in Noah in this text. Just comes off this ark. I'm sure it was... A difficult time, to say the least. Uh, I, was, I was joking around a little bit about Noah and the ark the last two weeks, and a lady came up to me from our church, and she had, uh, before uh, she stayed home with her son, she used to work in a zoo. And she said, I can tell you being on the ark would have been miserable, <laughs> right? She knew a little bit about it. She used to run this zoo, and she said, I can tell you how difficult and painful of an experience that would be. So Noah and his family just come out. They, they're rescued, and they're redeemed, but make no mistake about it. The ark was hard. The ark was difficult. And they come off that ark, and the first thing, one of the first things he does is, I'm going to sacrifice an altar to the Lord. I'm going to worship. I'll always worship my God. I'll always worship my God, no matter what. I love that example in Noah. The second kind of role of man in the rebuilding is obviously to fill the earth. To fill the earth. And you can ask your mama and your dad about that on the way home, right? Uh, we're not going to get into it, but he says to Noah and his family, fill the earth. And this is part of mankind's role uh, in the rebuilding of the earth. And listen, I know some people that look at a text like this and they feel that it's almost like a biblical requirement uh, for, for Christians to have children. And I just want to tell you, I don't see that, nor do I agree with it. And here's why. Every single Sunday, we gather together and we are worshiping a single guy who had no children. Right? So uh, how can you say everyone has to do this? We have a worship a single guy who had no children. And I think it would be safe to say that Jesus lived a good life. And there are many reasons why people may not have children. So what does it mean? Well, here's what I think it means. And if we can kind of apply this a little bit, um, that we have been living in a time that has historically been kind of anti-children. At a minimum, not the biggest fan of children. Children are seen as a distraction and a nuisance. And, and listen, that's changing. We were staying in a hotel in St. Louis about a week ago. And we decided to have kind of a leisurely morning and just kind of watch a movie as a family. And we watched this movie called Storks, uh, which is all about how God brings your brother or your sister to your home via the stork. We all know how that's how it works, right? And, and that's, that's what the movie is about. But we're watching this movie and, and I was kind of watching my kids enjoy it, but it was a beautiful pro-child movie and I loved it. Because that's something our culture has struggled with, is kids are seen as a, a nuisance. And so one of the applications of this text is I think whether or not you have children, whether or not you plan to have children, I think we are all called to be pro-children, pro-child. And if you have children, uh, this might seem like an easy application because we're called to be pro-our kids, and we are <clears throat> most of the time. Um, but... One of the challenges for those of us that have kids, one of the challenges here might be to pre be pro other people's kids, 
right? Which is its own thing to celebrate the success of someone else's kid, right? Instead of feeling jealous or wishing, uh, wishing your kid had that success. It might be praying for them when they're going through a hard time. It might be finding ways to invest in kids that are not your own kids. Another challenge for those of us that have kids when it comes to being pro-kid is that we are pro-kid without turning our kids into a, uh, into a little idol that we worship, right? Kids are a blessing and kids are wonderful. They make terrible gods, they, they really do. Those little, those little guys and girls, they, they make terrible gods. So we want to be careful that we're not worshiping our kids and say, what would that even look like? Well, one thing that it looks like is putting your kids' desires ahead of God's desires, where all of a sudden your kid is running the household instead of God running the household. And so we don't ever want to worship our, our kids. Uh, we want to be careful about that. And if you don't have children, listen, you can still be pro-kid. You can volunteer in Kids Zone. Get that little thing in there, right? Uh, you can volunteer in Kids Zone or Kids Ministry. You can encourage and help the people with kids around you that are raising their kids. You can cheerlead them on. You can financially support organizations that invest in kids. There are tons of ways you can do that. But, but we, see these, we see these stories where Jesus, a single man that had no children, we see stories in the New Testament where Jesus is investing in children, and so we're all kind of called to this. That, you, know, you may not be called to help fill the earth, but I think we are all called to be pro-kid, right? pro-child, and to invest in, in the next generation. I, I remember probably two years ago now, I was talking to a guy, and I've told you this story before, but it, it just broke my heart. As we were talking, he had left his home church, and he had gone to a new church. And he was talking about this new church, and he said, man, I love my new church. And he said, the best thing about my new church is there's no little kids running around. He, he said, that was my reaction too, right? He, he said, it's just, uh, it's just us old folks, and I love it. I said, no. I, didn't say, I barely knew the guy, so I didn't say anything. I said, no, 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 no. The church is called to be pro-kid, the, the church is called to love those little, those little boys and little girls running around the building and having a good time and worshiping the Lord. We are called to be pro-kid. Jesus was pro-kid. He didn't have any kids. He was pro-kid. And so as a church, and I love the investment that we're making, we, we're, we're updating Kids Zone. Pretty soon we're going to have one centralized check-in for all the kids. I love that this church is pro-kid. Let's keep it up. Because we are called to invest in the next generation. Uh, we're called to love the next generation. We're called to raise them up in the Lord. The last kind of role of mankind is to take care of the earth. The idea that, especially on, in this second chance text, where God had developed the earth, he decided to destroy it, and then you see this recreation and this kind of second chance, um, it is a reminder that the earth is a gift. This earth is a gift. And so first of all, I think th th this would teach us, enjoy it. Enjoy a good meal together. Enjoy a sunrise. Enjoy a waterfall. Uh, enjoy everything God has given us. If I read this text correctly, and I think I do, enjoy a good steak. Right? There's eight terrible chapters of Genesis where we're only supposed to eat plants. And then in chapter nine, God opens the door and says, eat whatever you want. So in Jesus' name, enjoy steak. Don't eat too much of it because your cholesterol is going to get out of control. But, um, but, but enjoy some of it, right? It, it is a, this earth is a gift. Enjoy it. But God will also say to us, this earth is a gift, so take care of it. 
Again, we see this in the early chapters of Genesis that God gives the earth to mankind. He says, here's a gift, enjoy it, but please, please, please take care of it. And so listen, an anti-earth stance that man, use it, abuse it, be done with it, it makes no sense to me. An anti-earth stance makes no sense to me. Just use it, abuse it, and be done with it. Is this, this was given to us to take care of and to manage it. So yes, enjoy it, but take care of it. But listen, an, anti, an anti-human stance also makes no sense to me. Right? This ideology that some people have that the earth is more important than humans. Human beings are made in the image of God. You see this uh, part of the text, this prohibition in the text about taking human life. It is a serious thing. And so I know middle grounds tend to be attacked by both sides, right? If you tend to say, man, I just want to be kind of a moderate middle ground person, you're going to get attacked by the right and the left. Left and the right. Yeah, yeah, okay, right? Had to think about that for a minute, you know, poor education, but... um, and so you see that there's got to be a middle ground here where we are loving each other, we're loving human beings, but we're also managing the earth in a good and godly way. There's got to be a way to do that well, where we are caring for each other and we're taking care of the earth. This is the role of mankind. We've covered some of it before, where we're worshiping God, we're caring for one another, we're caring for the earth. This is our role. And now I want to show you, because this is new, God's role is he makes a covenant. And a covenant, it's just a kind of a fancy Bible word for promise, all right? A covenant carries with it promises. And so God is going to make a promise here. And, and listen, a covenant is different from a contract. And the best way I can do this is uh, to illustrate it. So I want to tell you about a contract that I entered into one time. Um, when Cheryl and I bought our house, we entered into a contract with Wells Fargo. And we sat down uh, with the banker and they gave us an amount of paperwork that just staggered me. It's like, you know, we're just buying this house, right? right? We're, we're not selling our soul or anything, but I guess we kind of were. But, um, and it's just signing one document after another, sign, 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 one page uh, right, right after a, another. And part of that contract was Wells Fargo agrees to let us live in the house. Thank you, Wells Fargo as long as we make payments. I assume, I've never tested this theory, but uh, I assume if we ever stopped making payments, Wells Fargo would have a problem with it. Uh, And Wells Fargo would begin uh, foreclosure proceedings and eventually we would have to leave our house. That is a contract. If you, then I. If you'll pay, if you'll make payments, then I will let you live there. Let me tell you about a covenant that we entered into. Uh, Cheryl and I, we adopted both of our children. And there's a tremendous amount of paperwork that comes with adoption as well. But there came this point when we were ready to finalize, legally finalize the adoption. And we stood before a judge and he had us promise that we would feed, clothe, love, and educate our children to the best of our ability. And we promised a judge and God, we promised a judge that we would do that. That promise was un conditional, right? Here's what that means. That promise wasn't if, if your kids behave, feed them. That, it wasn't that, right? It wasn't if your kids are good, educate them. It, it wasn't any of that. It was you will do this no matter what. This is your promise to your kids and to the state of Illinois and to God, that you are promising that you will feed, educate, and love your children. This is a covenant, it, is, it doesn't matter what my kids do. 
right? It, it doesn't matter how they behave. This is my promise. I promise to educate them. I promise to love them. I promise to feed them. I promise to clothe them. That is a covenant. So this covenant that God makes, this is a promise given in grace. It is a covenantal promise that he goes out of his way to say it is for Noah's generation, and God goes out of his way to say, it is for every future generation. Here's the promise. He will never again destroy the earth by floodwaters. Now let's be clear on what this is not for a minute. This is not a promise that God will never discipline his children again. Right? God does discipline his kids for the same reason you discipline your kids, because you love them and you want life for them. So God's not promising here to never engage in discipline uh, again. Uh, discipline's just a part of life and we all have to figure it out. I, I was listening to a guy talk about, he's trying to figure out how to, on a podcast, he's trying to figure out how to discipline his three-year-old. And uh, his three-year-old loves to be naughty, as she calls it. She said, Daddy, I just love being naughty. I just love to be naughty. And, and she's like throwing her food off the plate. And so they decided, all right, here's what we're going to do for this three-year-old. We're going to enter into a timeout. And, right? and so she threw her food off the tray one day. She said, I love being naughty. And so he takes her and they go up to her bedroom and they put her on a chair. And then daddy stays there with her to make sure she stays in the chair. And he says, my daughter loves time out. <laughs> he said, this discipline's a failure, right? That she's like, oh, let's go upstairs and go into time out, daddy, right? And so this guy was kind of ruminating about how he's trying to figure out this thing called discipline. And he wants to figure it out because he loves his daughter. And you figured it out at some point because you love your children. Discipline is a part of it. So God's not promising he's never going to engage in discipline again. He's not promising he's never going to judge the earth again. As you read the book of Exit, uh, uh, Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, God routinely acts in kind of judgmental ways to bring about life for his creation. So here's the promise under the promise, right? That you have the promise and then you have what's lurking underneath. And here's the promise. And I think this is so beautiful. God, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you. God will not respond to the wickedness of humanity with a destructive flood. That's the promise. He will respond to his creation in other life-giving ways to ensure that his world and his people never get to this place again. So you remember how, uh, so, so you remember how uh, at the very beginning of this kind of mini-series within this, we talk about the wickedness of the earth. And even in our text today, every inclination of the human heart was, was wicked all of the time. God is recognizing that. So this promise of the rainbow is not a promise that God is disengaging. It is actually a promise that God is going to double down with his engagement and he's going to engage with his creation and he's going to engage with his earth in life-giving ways so that creation never gets to the place that they were at in Genesis 6 ever again. And so God is engaging, when you study the rest of the Old Testament, God is engaging in new, beautiful, and incredible ways to bring about life to his creation. So you say, what does this engagement look like? Well, in the book of Exodus, God gives his people the law, right? The, the, the law in the book of Exodus. And the law teaches his people what God expects and what God loves so that we can live according to his way. And the law is God leading, engaging with his people to lead them to life. Later on, he gives them the sacrificial system. 
The sacrificial system is a way that God provided forgiveness of sin for his people, but it also taught the people in very real ways that uh, sin leads people to death, so stay away from it. Then he gives them the prophets who would show up and confront the nations when they were wandering away from God's truth. And then he gives us his son, Jesus, who sets an example for us, commands us, and shows us the best way to live. And now he has given us his Holy Spirit who invades the life of the believer and is changing us and transforming us and empowering us to live different and better lives. So we see kind of post-flood that God has increased his engagement. He's giving the law, he's giving prophets, he's giving his son Jesus as the ultimate example, and he's giving the Holy Spirit so that humanity never gets to the place that they were in before. And he gives a sign of all of this. The sign is of the rainbow. And we think of the rainbow as a sign that he'll never flood the earth again, and that certainly is part of it. But I think it's another sign too. It's a covenantal sign. God is promising his people, I will be active. We're in a covenant. I will be active. I will be involved. And I will take steps to try to ensure that mankind never loses their way again. So the promise of the rainbow is a promise of a God who engages with his creation. It's not just, well, I'm never doing that again. And now God's kind of far off. It's, the, it's I'm never doing that again, but look at how I'm going to engage now. Law, prophets, son, Holy Spirit. Look at how I'm going to engage now. So when you see a rainbow in the sky, yes, it is a promise of God's grace. It is a promise of God's patience. It is a promise of God's love. But also, it is a promise of God's involvement with his creation. It is a sign of his desire, God's constant desire to recreate God's constant desire to renew and rebuild. And a story that God is invited to always includes recreation because this is how God is. This is how God is. He's, he, he's engaging with creation to renew, recreate, reestablish. God loves to partner with his creation to accomplish these things. And that's what this story is all about. It's about God's desire to see the earth rebuilt. God's reengaging. Re, to see the earth rebuilt and renewed and restored to what it was created to be. So in Genesis 9, Noah's like the new Adam and his wife's like the new Eve. And God's like, we're, I'm, I'm re-engaging with creation and we're gonna build something really spectacular here. So you might, like, feel, you might feel today like you've lost a lot in some area of life. Here's what I wanna encourage you with. Invite God in. Invite God in. He wants to be engaged with you. His son Jesus and his Holy Spirit proves this to us. He wants to be engaged with you. So invite God in and watch him renew. Watch him recreate. Watch him rebuild. You might say, oh, this marriage is dead. This relationship is dead. This thing is dead. Invite God in. He loves to engage. Invite God in and watch the master recreator go to work. The promise of this text, in a nutshell, the promise of this text is this. God's not done. God's not done. He is going to engage in fresh and new ways. God is absolutely not done. And we don't have to do anything to earn that. This is just how God is. 
He's engaging with his creation to bring about renewal. That's just who he is. We don't have to, the only thing we have to do is respond to it. The only thing we have to do is enter into the covenant to say, God, I offer your, uh, your invitation. I accept your offer of grace and new life. And oh yeah, God, part of this covenant is, yeah, I'm gonna promise to do some things, but God's gonna keep his promise no matter what. He's gonna be engaged with his creation. But part of the covenant is Noah saying, yeah, I'm gonna do some things as well in this covenant. And you might wanna make those promises to God today. God, I'm gonna worship no matter what. I'm not gonna contractually worship. Everybody's doing that. I'm not going to contractually worship. I'm going to worship covenantally, no matter what, no matter what is going on, no matter what, what things look like, I am going to worship in a covenantal way. So God, I will worship. I will be faithful. I will follow. This is a day where maybe we can make some promises to God in return. God's going to keep his promise. He always does. But maybe today's the day where I say, man, as part of this covenantal relationship, maybe I need to make some promises today. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful no matter what. I'm going to worship no matter what. I'm going to follow no matter what. And God stands, he's ready to engage with his creation. He always is. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, yeah, I want you to think God's never going to flood the earth again. And that's absolutely true. But since that flood, it is also a promise of God's engagement to bring about renewal. And so let that rainbow be a sign of hope that if you're going through a tough season in your marriage or in a relationship or in your church or whatever, you're going through a tough season, you look at that rainbow and it reminds you God wants to engage and, and, and he wants to renew and he wants to rebuild. Let him come in. He's the master recreator. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his, the ultimate example of this, that you bring about renewal. And so help us, to, help us to remember that. Help us to enter into this covenantal relationship with you that, that we, we just have to enter into it. God, you're going to keep your promises. Um, you always do. But we want to invite you in today and we, we don't want to stand in your way at all. We want to invite you into our lives and into our hearts, and into our minds, into our marriages, into our families. And we want to invite you to recreate, renew, and reestablish whatever you need to do today. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.